Hello. My name is Tapiwama7, this is the Commercial Awareness Podcast, episode 44. Another preamble. Shorter one this time, though. I've quickly learned that avoiding COVID-19 topics is near impossible, and upon reflection, not advisable. But I'll still do my best to make sure it isn't the only thing we talk about, or at least when we do, we have something new to say. As you can imagine, much of the news is the same because of it, so this episode will only contain two longer reads. With that said, as we always do, let's begin with the headlines. European car sales are off to their worst start since 2013. We just reported last week that the Bank of England cut interest rates from 0.75% to 0.25%. But since then, they announced another cut from 0.25% to a joint record low of 0.1% in response to the financial strain of COVID-19. The European Commission has officially relaxed state aid rules in response to the pandemic, now allowing states to give up to €800,000 to companies in the, quote, transport, tourism, hospitality, and retail sectors, end quote. Major UK businesses are also asking the government for a three-month tax holiday from national insurance, pay-as-you-earn, and VAT to support cash flow and prevent layoffs, as social distancing has led to a huge decline in consumer demand. An update from this headline is this quarter's VAT has been deferred. In an update to a story from episode 41, the German Constitutional Court has ruled that Germany's legislation to implement the Unified Patent Court is null and void, in another setback for the UPC after the UK withdrew its involvement. And finally, in terms of legal recruitment, Henderson Chambers has pulled out of this year's pupillage recruitment round over the difficulties of interviewing by video conferences, as all interviewers are working from home. Sherman and Sterling have also cancelled their spring vacation scheme, and Slaughter and May and White and Case have paused their scheme for the time being. If you'd like to read more on any of these headlines, links as always are in the description. In the first read of the episode, we call back to a headline from last week of Italy's antitrust body investigating Amazon and eBay for the increase in prices of hand sanitizer on their platforms, which upon reflection was probably due to individual sellers. That can be a discussion about how liable companies should be over what's on their platform, but we've had that conversation already in episode 17. However, we're talking about Italy today because it has become a problem in the UK, not just online, but offline, resulting in the Competition and Markets Authority announcing that they are monitoring reports of price rises and will take, quote, direct enforcement action, end quote, against those charging above the market rate for high-demand products. Those high-demand products include, as you could guess, hand sanitizer, toilet rolls, and face masks. Andrew Tyree, the CMA chair, continued by saying, quote, we will do whatever we can to act against ripoffs and misleading claims using any or all of our tools, and where we can't act, we'll advise government on further steps they could take, if necessary, end quote. The CMA extended this warning to members of the public reselling the same products on eBay and Amazon, and CMA Chief Exec Andrea Coscelli urged sellers to, quote, behave responsibly, end quote. So, let's talk about price gouging. There is no catch-all definition, but for the sake of this story, let's call it the significant price increase of a sought-after essential item. The CMA's role is enforcing competition law in the UK, and we've spoken about that role quite a bit, but through the lens of mergers and acquisitions. So this story allows us to look at another dimension of competition law. 
Generally, the CMA focuses on anti-competitive activity. As you can imagine, two dominant companies in a sector merging to lessen competition could be seen as anti-competitive. Price gouging is a little less clear-cut, though. Section 18.2a of the Competition Act 1998 does not allow anyone to abuse a dominant position in the market. Namely, they cannot directly or indirectly impose unfair purchase or selling prices. The practice of stores increasing the price of an item seems to fit with this, but does it really? If the CMA's role is to prevent and punish anti-competitiveness, I think that there is a case for calling price gouging as competitive as it gets. If one store inflates the price of a product, the seller with the lower price would get more business. It's different to the predatory pricing of selling a product below market value, which is also seemingly allowed when a product is sold for 10% off, for example. So if it's allowed one way, why not the other? I'm aware that the model I'm presenting does not truly fit the situation we are currently in. Panic buying has resulted in stockpiling, which has resulted in scarcity. The store that would sell the product for cheaper may not even have the product in stock. But I think that this whole ordeal gives us an opportunity to discuss another gap between what is legal and what is ethical. It's similar to the conversation we had in episode 41 about the double Irish corporate structure. A structure used by companies to pay as little tax as possible that was legal on paper, but frowned upon up until the European Commission actually fined those companies for receiving state aid by Ireland, though it was Ireland not legislating against such a practice. We know how that story ends, though. Such a practice is now legislated against, though similar models live on. A similar discussion is to be had about price gouging. We are well aware of the economic model of supply and demand. A product's price will waver until it settles at a point where the quantity demanded equals the quantity supplied. Taking that further, once there is a supply shortage, the price would increase. We see it in surge pricing when we call an Uber at a peak time. There are more riders on the road than drivers, the demand is higher than the supply. We see it on third-party ticket platforms. The tickets are now sold out from the main seller, the demand outweighs the supply, therefore altering the price. So, with that considered, is price gouging anti-competitive or illegal? And if not, should it be? And contextually, doesn't preventing the third-party seller from selling those bottles, even at a higher price, result in even more scarcity? At this point, before I lose you as a listener forever because of what seems to be a support of price gouging, I want to state my opinion that price gouging is unsavory at best. But there is truly a discussion to be had about this gray area that exists between the law and ethics. I think morally, the story of the person who rushed to a wholesale seller of hand sanitizers, bought them at 90 pence per bottle, and sought to sell them for 15 pounds each on eBay is not great. But from an economic perspective, it seems to be a practice we've been relatively content with in other aspects of our lives. The CMA statements have been met with some backlash from economists who are very much against especially any proposed anti-price gouging legislation that may occur as a result of this pandemic. The French government already took such action, announcing on the 4th of March that they would regulate the price of hand sanitizers. In your opinion, is this a favorable outcome? Even if the behavior isn't necessarily anti-competitive, do you think something needs to be done to prevent price gouging? 
It's worth noting that in the U.S., 34 states have state-level bans against price gouging during times of emergency. Should something similar be enacted in the U.K.? And would price regulation do more good or more harm? If there truly is scarcity in a product, considering the interruption of transport and supply links in the midst of border closures, lockdowns, and production slowdowns, would legislation preventing sellers from marking up prices to make ends meet be a favorable outcome? The reality is a lot of businesses and entire industries will suffer for an indefinite period of time. To be colloquial, someone is going to have to get the short end of the stick. Anti-price gouging legislation would protect consumers, but affect those businesses, which could result in an even worse outcome of more scarcity and job cuts, the latter of which we'll discuss in the next read as well. But if you were tasked with this issue, how would you act? Would this be a CMA intervention you'd welcome? Should this ordeal then inspire specific anti-price gouging legislation? Credit for this story goes to the CMA, Sahar Nazir, Ryan Bourne, and the Competition Act. For the second read, in another blow to the high street, Carphone Warehouse announced the closure of all 531 standalone stores, resulting in the loss of nearly 3,000 jobs. 305 Curry's PC World stores remain open and phones will be sold from there in what the company called their, quote, next step in its transformation, end quote. Footfall in the standalone stores was down by 16% in the last year, and the looming physical retail disruption for an indefinite period as a result of COVID-19, though we may assume influenced the pace at which this happened, was not named as a factor. Ultimately, in the press release, the company expressed an interest and belief in customers wanting to see all tech in the same place. But the biggest story is consumer behavior and, of course, the failings of the high street. The first part is something we've mentioned in a number of episodes, and is that shift from offline to online. As consumers buy more products online, hundreds of physical stores become redundant, as even said last week about the declining high street and how developers may use empty commercial buildings for private residential property. In previous conversations, we've mentioned job cuts. We've mentioned some high street retailers' attempts to consolidate being futile as a result of CMA intervention. However, this shows us another step to those job cuts, and it is restructuring. The employment lawyers will have their hands full as they advise their clients on how best to dismiss thousands of employees in the coming weeks and months, but restructuring lawyers will be just as busy, as companies look to streamline their business, even if it is just for the near future. But the second part, a revisit to another story from last week, allows us to see what a circular economy would also result in, even without the formal regulation in place as it may be throughout the EU next year. The company in question forecasted a £90 million loss in the coming year back in December, and that was in large part due to consumers generally upgrading their phones less often. That may have not been a conscious effort by consumers to be more sustainable, though it may be, but the knock-on effect of that has been the demise of a high street staple. And just like that, we see another outcome we did not expressly point out in last week's episode's read concerning the circular economy. I don't wish to paint a negative picture about the circular economy. Frankly, I believe we're saying the same thing in the automobile industry as potential customers are buying cars less often. It seems a bit of an inevitability at this point with or without legislation. But considering the job losses it leaves behind, 
we may need to really consider what next for a number of industries, with or without COVID-19 as a dominant factor. So, yes, any story about the failing high street brings with it discussions of restructuring work, real estate work, and employment law. But more and more, we are unable to have these discussions without acknowledging the bigger picture. And that is the sadly consistent news of job cuts in the high street. If there is a positive side to the current health crisis, and we do have to look hard for one, is that ASDA and Little have sought to hire 5,000 and 2,500 temporary workers respectively to respond to the demands of the crisis, with a particular focus towards workers laid off due to the novel coronavirus. Chancellor Rishi Sunak also announced that the government will pay up to 80% of wages of furloughed workers in any industry as a result of the novel coronavirus. This scheme will be backdated to the 1st of March and will last three months, but could be extended if necessary. This scheme will sadly not apply to the almost 3,000 workers let go by Carphone Warehouse, however, or any workers made redundant. But it shows a government response and awareness of a problem this crisis represents. But beyond the pandemic, in the hopes that we come out on the other side in good shape, there will still be the same story of the high street job cuts. Only next time, it will be another company. So, beyond the clear-cut labels of commercial awareness aspects we can stow the story in, we may also need to ask ourselves what the long-term plan should be for the future of work and the future of the high street. Credit for this story goes to Sarah Proven, Jonathan Ellie, and James Davey. This has been the Commercial Awareness Podcast. We spoke about it briefly in the preamble, but as you can imagine, the world is reeling as countries respond to the novel coronavirus. The news cycle is affected as well. A lot of the news is quite similar. Not much of it is good, no matter the sector. I also believe that for much of it, you can connect the dots as well. So, in the reporting of the news, I am trying my best to avoid over-explaining or reporting very obvious news. On the other side of the coin, news influenced by the pandemic changes very quickly, and the weekly format of the podcast results in news being reported on a Friday becoming irrelevant by Monday. An example has been the Bank of England rate cuts, or even the VAT update in the headlines. So in terms of disclosure, one story I am looking at that I would like to report on next week is the bailout the UK government may give to the aviation sector, but I wanted to ensure it would be relevant for more than a few hours. So if it is still current next Friday, we'll talk about it then. Feel free to read ahead if you'd like. So, that's the situation from the podcast side. I'll do what I can to keep providing news through a commercial awareness lens. If you ever have any sector suggestions, questions, or comments, you can always feel free to contact the podcast through email, which is on the first line of the episode description, or direct message the podcast's Instagram at comawarepod, that is C-O-M-M-A-W-A-R-E-P-O-D, Other than that, as always, thank you for listening and for your support, and you'll hear from me next week. Wherever you are, stay safe.